0: Ninety. If you've got a red Bible, that's on page 929. But it looks like most people have got their own. <laughs> Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad for all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.
1: Thanks, Lindsay. I should have said in that notice, um, do speak to Joel and Samara um, and talk to them about kind of why they're leaving and their plans and stuff. Um, don't talk to their boys today because they haven't... Um, talk to them yet. So that would be unhelpful. Psalm 90. Yes, apologies if you were uh, looking forward to hearing uh, the second half of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, I wasn't able to get prepared to adequately deal with that passage. Um, so this is a sermon I preached some years ago. Some of you may remember it, but I doubt uh, many of you will. <laughs> Uh, I didn't even remember it much either, but I think it's fitting for us, and um, so we're going to look at Psalm 90 together. Uh, Don Carson asks, what is the most urgent need of the church? He says that the one thing we most urgently need at any time, uh, any culture, uh, is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. And so this morning, we're stepping out of 1 Timothy, we're going to meditate on this psalm together, Psalm 90, which uh, contains great truths about God. The key verse, I think, is verse 12, where Moses prays, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the only psalm in the whole Psalter attributed to Moses. Moses had led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and for 40 years through the wilderness. But along with all but two of the rescued Israelites, uh, Joshua and Caleb, Moses failed to enter the promised land. God had numbered his days and Moses died just before Joshua led the next generation into the land. This psalm is often read at funeral services. It's not morbid, it's full of hope. But funerals are an opportunity for those who grieve to face the reality of our own mortality. And Psalm 90 is the perfect psalm for that occasion. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to think rightly about our life. That doesn't come naturally to us. We don't naturally have a heart of wisdom. We need to be taught Taught to see how brief and fragile life really is. I think this psalm contains three big lessons. Well, lots of lessons. I've got three to share with you. Uh, The first from verses 1 and 2 is that God is the eternal creator. God is the eternal creator. Let's read those verses again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is eternal. There's never been a time when God did not exist. He wasn't born or created. There is nothing that precedes God. Everything else is created. God alone is creator. The Bible's opening words tell us, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there wasn't an event. In the beginning, there was a person. Before mountains and molecules, before planets and protons, before light and dark, before time, God. We struggle to grasp the eternity of God. We we need to pray for the Spirit to enable us to understand it. Not in any way that we'd be able to contain God. We can never say we've got God sorted. To rightly understand God in his eternity is to stand back in wonder and worship. The amazing thing about this immortal God is what Moses says in verse 1. Lord... Eternal creator God, you have been our dwelling place, our home. Home speaks of welcome and acceptance, doesn't it? Safety, rest. It speaks of identity. Home is the place where you can be yourself and be at peace. When you become a Christian, there's a sense in which you become a stranger in the world, but you also have a new home in God. For the Christian, God is not only our help, but our home. We find our identity in him, we live in him, we rest in him. And because he's an eternal God, he is our eternal home. God is the one home that we'll never have to leave. He's always present, never changing, the same yesterday and today and forever. As the old hymn says, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. God is the eternal creator. Secondly, in verses 3 to 12, uh, Moses focuses on the fact that we are mortal. In contrast to God's eternity, these verses focus on the brevity and fragility of human life. God is older than the hills, his life more firm and lasting than the mountains. But verse 6 tells us, in contrast, we are like grass that grows up in the morning and by evening is dry and withered. Verse 4 says that to God, a thousand years are like one day, or even shorter, like a watch of the night. You know, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., that's a watch of the night. Anything significant happen for you between those hours? Well, for the eternal God, a millennium is like that. And so our lives are like a blinking of an eye. God is the almighty creator, but we are most definitely creatures. We are of the dust. God is the immortal God, but we are most definitely mortal. Moses forces us to face up to the reality of our mortality, He prays, verse 12, teach us to number our days, to face up to this. If you uh, go to the website, deathclock.org, and enter a few personal details, it calculates the expected day of your death. I checked it again this morning. It's the same as when I preached it uh, some years ago. Uh, March the 1st, 2051, apparently, is when I'll die just before my 74th birthday. If correct, I have 10,867 days left. Now, I'd like to think I might get a few more. It could be that I get far less. But however many days you or I have left, the point is that they're numbered. They're not infinite. There will be a day that will be my last. You and I will die. Death is no respecter of persons. Kings and commoners end up the same. No matter what your status in the world, you cannot dodge death. It's humbling, isn't it? It's a sobering reality. And as well as the reality of our mortality, Moses also tells us the reason for it. According to Moses, death isn't just something that happens in the evolutionary cycle. It's not just a natural part of human existence. What does he say? Why do we die? Look at verse 3. You turn people back to dust. It's God who says, return to the dust, you mortals. Verse 5, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. It is God who determines our death. God who takes our life from us. Why? Well, verse 7 says, we're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities, another word for sins, before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Moses says that death is the result of God's anger at human sin. He's alluding here to Genesis 3. When humanity rebelled against God's rightful rule, God responded in judgments. Death was not a part of God's original plan for humanity. In that sense, it's not a natural part of human existence at all. It's a result of the fact that we live under God's judgments. Psalm 90 is saying that we're not the way we're meant to be. Life is not the way it's meant to be. Verse 10 says... Our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if we have strength, if our strength endures, maybe a bit longer for some, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Not only are our lives brief and fragile, they're also full of frustration and trouble and sorrow. This is the reality of life in this fallen world, a world that's under judgment. And I don't know about you, but there's something refreshing about that. You find it throughout the Psalms, this brutal honesty about how hard life is. And so if you're finding life hard, you're in good company. Moses prays, teach us to number our days. Help us get life in perspective. Humble us. Teach us to face the reality of our mortality and our fallenness, our weakness, and the fragility of our lives. But thankfully, the psalm doesn't finish there. And in verses 13 to 17, we're told that God is a God of unfailing love. He's the eternal creator. We are mortal, but he's a God of unfailing love. Each verse of 13 to 17 is a prayer we're just going to focus on one in verse 14 Moses prays satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days it is striking isn't it despite the sobering reality of our mortality the frustration of life in a fallen world Moses prays for joy and gladness. We're being told that it's possible for us to be satisfied, fulfilled, to be happy all our days. He's just told us the best of our days are but trouble and sorrow. But now he says we can be glad in all our days. He's not saying we gain this joy by ignoring the harsh realities of life or pretending they're not there or denying the reality of death but rather that even in the midst of trouble and sorrow, we can experience joy in the Lord and in his unfailing love. When Moses considers his mortality, the reality that his body will fail, he turns for comfort to the unfailing love of God. Moses is teaching us how we are to respond to our mortality, not by ignoring it, not by trying to reverse the aging process, not by just trying to suck as much out of life as we can, but by finding our satisfaction in the unfailing love of God. He said, verse 1, that the eternal God is our dwelling place. And so although we live in the midst of trial and sorrow in this fallen world, we also live in God, and we can rejoice in God because we know his steadfast love. We know his favor upon us. We know that this God of judgment is also a God of love. The Apostle Paul captures this mindset in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says that his experience in life is one of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. He says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let me ask you, where are you fixing your eyes this morning? Are you full of sorrow and complaint and self-pity? Because you're focusing on the troubles of this fallen world. Or are you happy in the Lord and in his unfailing love? Notice that it is an unfailing love. It's not superficial. It's not temporary, but it's steadfast. It's unfailing. It's a, it's a love you can rely on. We sang that song at the start and the lyrics were just Perfect. I could sooner drink the seas than fathom all your love. Like a never-ceasing stream, our mercies through your Son. I could sooner turn back time than turn your heart away. Though the years go fleeting by, your mercies never change. The love of God, of course, reached its climax when the immortal God, took on mortality in the person of Jesus. The love of God was seen most clearly when the one who takes life from us gave his life for us, dying in our place. This is what will cause us to rejoice and be glad all our days, being reminded that God has committed himself to never, ever, ever, ever stop loving us he loved us from eternity he loved us to the cross he loved us yesterday and he loves us still he always has, he always will maybe you could make verse 14 your prayer this week satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love maybe you could start each day seeking to set your heart happy in the Lord to go into the day not focusing on the trials that you face not ignoring them but allowing the reality of God's unfailing love to give you a steadfastness and a secure joy and gladness in him let me pray now Lord God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Help us to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal.